Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. I have to give you a heads up. This is part two of a show we did live on January 31st, 2018. Hard to believe. February, March, we're into April now, and it's the second quarter of 2018. Woohoo! Our topic is the state of innovation 2018. Fluff versus fact, baloney versus beef, ignore versus ignite. That's a long title. So let me tell you what the buzz on the street is. I have a quote from James Dyson, O-M-C-B-E-F-R-S-F-R-E-N-G. He's Sir James Dyson mm-hmm. to us, British inventor, industrial designer, and founder of the Dyson Company. You know him probably from the dual Cyclone Bagless vacuum cleaner, and rumor has it he tried 500 prototypes before he got it right. He used a ball in a lot of his inventions, the ball barrow, a modified version of the wheelbarrow. He used that in the trolley ball that launched boats in the wheel boat that could travel on land and water at speeds of up to 40 miles an hour. Here's the quote. Listen up. We are all looking for the magic formula. Well, here you go. Creativity plus iterative development equals innovation. So just let's let that sink in. Yes, we're starting with a mathematical formula here. So welcome to the digital era. We are here where new technology, terminology, hype, and interpretations are coming at us from all sides all day long as we work, as we play, when we're home, when we're traveling, wherever we are. Buzzwords abound. Don't get hit in the face, but if you do, figure out what they mean to you. So what do things like IOT, that's the Internet of Things. I'll translate ML, that's machine learning. Big data, you know what that is. AI, artificial intelligence, and blockchain really mean. How will they impact or are they already impacting your organization, your customers, your business partners, and maybe most important to you, your lifestyle? I have a returning panel of three very, very smart thought leaders who are going to help us figure it out even more than we did the last time in January. Let me tell you who they are. We will be speaking in a moment with Tom Raftery. Futurist in IoT, there are those three little letters, Internet of Things, IoT Evangelist, Global Vice President for SAP. Joining him is Dion, D-I-O-N Hinchcliffe, VP and Analyst at Constellation Research. And I did a shout out before the show through Dion to Ray Wong. Ray, I hope you're well. I hear you're in Japan with your family. Hope you're having a great trip. And rounding out the panel is Tamara McCleary. She's the CEO of a company called Thulium, and we will ask her again to tell us what her company does. So there you go. Tom Raftery has sent me a quote from... Well, of course, Elon Musk, he's in the news all the time. We're thinking about him. We're talking about him. Maybe some of us are dreaming of being him, Tom Raftery. I don't know. But Elon Musk, a young fellow born in 71, South African-born, Canadian-American. That's a lot of uh, memberships in countries. Business magnet, investor, and engineer. He's the founder, CEO, and lead designer of SpaceX, co-founder, CEO, and product architect of Tesla, Inc., and the co-founder and CEO of Neuralink. In December 2016, he was ranked 21st on Forbes' list of the world's most powerful people. And this February, he has a network of $20.8 billion, so he's only the 53rd richest person in the world. Elon, get busy. What are you waiting for? So here is the quote Thomas selected. <laughs> I, I, I want to die on Mars, not just, just not on impact. Tom, 
Tom Raftery, I love this quote. Have you been, Tom? I've been great, Bonnie. Thanks for driving me back on the show. Oh, we're delighted. You always have so many insights. I have to tell everybody, when I met Tom at, at SAP Sapphire Conference last year, he was wearing a hat, and his business card has the hat, and his PR picture has the hat, but he told me he's not wearing the hat on radio. So, Tom, I'm just imagining you with the hat, because that's just the way I see you. So, Tom, are you a big fan <laughs> of Elon Musk? Do you think about him all the time, and do you think it's a shame he's only the 53rd richest person in the world? Talk to me. <laughs> Uh, I don't think too much about his wealth, but what I, what I do love about Elon Musk is his vision, the breadth of his vision. Uh, it, it's incredible that he's taken uh, an industry like transportation, like cars, <clears throat> and, you know, given it a kickstart and taken it from where it was fossilized using fossil fuels and turned it electric. Uh, just this week, it was announced that the Model 3 car that they launched last year and are having you know, production problems still with, is now, it is now America's best-selling electric car. It's overtaken the Prius Prime, the Model S, the Model X, mm. two other Tesla cars, the Chevy Bolt and the Chevy Volt. So it is now the best-selling electric car in the U.S. It's incredible. Uh, from, from a standing start, you know, a little over 10 years ago, he's built up the Tesla company, as you mentioned, not just the Tesla company, but now Solar City, uh, things like the what he calls the Boring Company, which is an ironically named company, uh, mm-hmm. things like uh, Hyperloop, things like Neuralink, as you referred to as well. I mean, the guy is a polymath. He's a real modern day renaissance man. Very interesting. I I love the fact that you picked a quote to start off the show today from Elon Musk because of innovation. And I opened with the quote. Let me just get a comment from you before I bring on Dion and then Tamara. Uh, My quote from James Dyson. Do you agree with that, Tom Raftery? Creativity plus iterative development. That says to me persistence, commitment, passion, vision, fortitude, maybe a strong bladder. I don't know what it says. It says a lot of things in terms of sticking with it, keeping on trying what works. So so would you agree with that quote from James Dyson, that formula? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there, there are very few overnight successes and most of the people who come across or most of the organizations that come across as overnight successes, when you sit down and actually talk to them, it turns out it's taken them, you know, 10 years to become an overnight success. And it's, it's, the, same, it's the same thing. You just keep on banging away and keep on banging away and keep on banging away until you get there. Thank you very much. Persistence is the name of the game. Appreciate that, Tom. Welcome back. And now let's welcome back as well Diane Hinchcliffe from Constellation Research. And Diana sent us a quote also from a young guy. This time it's from Scott Adams. Scott Raymond Adams is the creator da, 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 of the Dilbert comic strip and the author of several nonfiction works of sapphire commentary and business. And Diane, before I read the quote, it's interesting that uh, Scott Adams started drawing cartoons when he was six years old and won his first drawing competition at 11. But nobody really wanted to do anything with his Dilbert comic strip for a long, long time. And he just kept at it. He was actually working at Pacific Bell in 1989. He had to draw his cartoons at four o'clock in the morning in order to work a full day at the company. He first got a monthly royalty check of $368.62 for his first paycheck for Dilbert. But it took a long time before he was able to syndicate it into, into many publications. But what's interesting is he attributes the success 
Joseph Dilbert to his idea of including his email address in the comic strip panels, helping readers give him encouragement and inspiration and feedback. So they are very interesting background and talk about persistence and iteration and all that. Here's the quote Dion has selected from Scott Adams. Creativity is allowing yourself to make mistakes. Art is knowing which ones to keep. Dion Hinchcliffe, how have you been? I've been great, Bonnie. Thanks for, for having me back on the show. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the, the story of Scott Adams is you know, like so many that we hear, and like uh, Tom alluded to, that uh, it's really it's 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration, right? That's, that's the, the definition, the formula for genius, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and one thing, if you, want, if you want to achieve anything, whether you're Elon Musk or Scott Adams or, or James Dyson, is, is, is you have to persist, pays off. You have to keep at it. You know, it takes you know, 10 or 20 years to become that overnight success. So talk to me about the fact that we're talking about innovation today. Do you think that the, who are the innovators, Diana? Are they, are they very young people? Are the millennials who, by the way, are, are in their mid thirties, the leading edge of the millennials demographic cohort is in their mid thirties. Can't believe time has passed that quickly. Can you, but who, who, do they have that? Shall we call it the, the persistence gene? Is it in their DNA or are they just jumping from thing to thing? Well, it's interesting. There's been a lot of studies of innovation in the last 20 or 30 years, in particular with this huge run-up in the technology industry. You know, some of the most advanced innovations in the history. Of, you know, and what where does it come from? And one of the things we've really mm-hmm. learned is that innovation invariably comes from where you least expect it. And if you mm-hmm. want to capture innovation, like Scott Adams did with his, by posting his email address, you know, he knew that. He could not possibly come up with all the, the outrageous things that were happening in the corporate America, but all he had to do was tap into that wellspring. But he didn't know who to ask, and, it was no, and there's actually little point in doing that. And we've seen this thing, you know, seen this trend rise in crowdsourcing, you know, crowdfunding with Kickstarter and Indiegogo. That that uh, it's amazing if you can tap into um, a, a large pool of innovation. You don't know where the ideas will come from, but you have to cast a wide net, and that's one of the one of the things that, that I think we've really learned is, and venture capitalists have have adapted that same model, knowing that they can't guess which ideas are the great ones. But if they cast a wide enough net, and the formula usually is is out of eight uh, out of ten investments, eight to nine will not succeed, and, and that last one will pay for them all. Because you don't know where the innovation is really going to come from, and so. Uh, I think we, by enabling, by really you know, uh, making it much more egalitarian and making it, mm-hmm. more people participate, we can find that our Mozarts, our Einsteins, our our Musks, and you know Scott Adams. Musk was venture found uh, uh, venture funded too. That's how he made his first fortune. Interesting. Well, let me just add a little other sidebar of trivia about Scott Adams, if I may. He submitted Dilbert. By the way, Dilbert was based on his family's deceased pet eagle, Lucy, and the name came from his ex-boss, Mike. Goodwin. I'm not sure how that works out. Dogbird, originally named Dildog. Well, I'll leave that one alone. Was Lucy based on his family's... Anyway, Lucy. Here's here's the interesting part about inspiration and encouragement. Uh, Dion, they say he submitted Dilbert to various publications, including Playboy and The New Yorker, and nobody accepted it. And guess what kept him going? An inspirational letter from a fan who persuaded him to keep trying. Aha. So that would be, that was early on, way before we were immersed in social media, right? But somehow the communication with somebody who said, yes, you're doing a great job. I love it. Got him to keep going. I like that story. Don't you, Diane? Interesting? 
I know exactly. And this, these are like kinds of individual human stories that you know, make all of this worth it and inspire kind of the next generation of innovators to, to get on stage. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I learned early on that when people are looking for funding, uh, we talked a little bit about venture capitalists here, funding, they often go to the three Fs. Do you know what those are? Anybody know what the three Fs are? You ask them for money? Tamara or Dion or Tom, anybody know the three Fs? Well, I'll tell you. Family, fools, and friends. (laughs) They're the ones you usually (laughs) ask for money. And they are the ones who would say, Oh, for God's sake, Dion, that's a ridiculous, ridiculous idea. Don't quit your day job. I gave you 20 bucks for that. I gave you $500. Oh, go back to doing what you were doing. You'll never make a living. Imagine if Dyson or Adams or Elon Musk had listened to their circle of FFF. We'll just leave that one on the side, but I wanted to throw that in. And thank you, Dion. Now we'll, we'll turn to Tamara McCleary, CEO of Thulium. In a few minutes, we'll find out what she does. And Tamara has brought us a quote from Hera. Cletus of Ephesus, E-P-H-E-S-U-S. I'm, I'm having to spell a lot of stuff here, Tamara. He lived from uh, 535 to 475 B.C. We counted from the big numbers to the small numbers in those days. He was a pre-Socratic Greek philosopher. Uh, part of the, He lived in part of the Persian Empire. Uh, let's say he had a lonely life. He says he came from a distinguished family, but he was self-taught and considered a pioneer of wisdom. He had a paradoxical way of looking at philosophy and he stressed the needless unconsciousness of humankind, so they called him Heraclitus, Heraclitus the Obscure and the Weeping Philosopher. Very interesting. And one quote, not the one she sent us, is, No man ever steps in the same river twice. thought that was interesting. And here is the quote Tamara has selected. Everything flows and nothing abides. Everything gives way and nothing stays fixed. Tamara McCleary, welcome back. How have you been? Oh, great. I'm really excited to be back uh, with you, Bonnie, and uh, with Dion and Tom. Uh, this is this is such a great conversation and so timely. It is, and we're so happy to have you back. I know how busy you are. Tell me, how in the world did you find a quote for us from somebody who lived from 535 to 475 B.C.? Because we've got Scott Adams, who's still with us. We have a quote from Elon Musk. We have a quote from James Dyson, and they're all who I call young people, Tamara. So how did you go back in time? I'd love to know. Uh, because what I really wanted to be in college was a philosophy major. So I'm steeped in uh, all the old stuff because, you know, uh, there's nothing new. It's the same. Um, and so I absolutely just dig the juicy wisdom that has remained true throughout the ages. And when you think about our time right now and how polarizing the conversation is around artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, in the future, the future of work, you know, you, you look at these types of quotes and go, you know what, um, it's an illusion to think that we somehow have lived in this, this existence where we have control and keep things the same. You know, nothing stays the same. Our jobs don't stay the same. Many times our partners don't stay the same. Our kids certainly don't stay babies. They grow up and move on. Mm -hmm. There is nothing. In fact, the only thing we are guaranteed of is change. And so I think it's so apropos when you look at um, digital transformation and companies having to um, reinvent themselves and stay relevant or be disrupted. And you look at new technological developments, the Internet of Things, you know, cloud and 
um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of that just reflects back the truth that everything always is in a state of movement. And to me, that's really important to remember because it's when we resist change that we mm-hmm. uh, also resist growth. And that is uh, catastrophic for an organization to feel as if they can get comfortable and continue on in the same space because it won't happen. The law of the universe will be that if they don't disrupt themselves, someone else will. Tamara, question for you. Where does this innovative spirit, this looking at things from a different lens, this ability to say, yeah, we've seen this before, but maybe there's a new way of doing it, a new way of moving it or angling it or pushing it. Maybe we can take that wheel and and put it on a a wheelbarrow and put it on a wheel that's going to power a boat, uh, as James Dyson did, and a vacuum cleaner. Uh, Does this come from within? Can you teach? I know this is an important question, and we can go around the table. Can you teach this kind of innovative spirit, Tamara, or does it have to come from, oh, we heard that Bob Smith is on the job market and Bob just invented the X, the Y, and the Z. Let's see if we can buy his talent and bring him in. So where does it come from in an organization? You know, I I don't know how it comes for everyone, uh, but I think that where it has come from for me is I'm extremely skilled at failure. And I've become so comfortable with, you know, making mistakes that you almost become uh, fearless in trying things and reinventing yourself and reinventing your organization and striving to, you know, make processes more improved, more efficient, more streamlined, more productive and successful. And, you know, I think it's that level of perfectionism or discomfort with change that, that a lot of people hold that makes them impervious to innovation. They may talk about innovation, but, you know, to me, it's where's your execution? What actions are you taking? That equals innovation. Thought is only as good as a thought, but it won't create something out there in the world until it's executed upon. And in order to execute on thought takes a willingness to fail and a comfort level with not always being right. And you even look at, you know, Tom brought up Elon Musk, and look at all the failures that he he endured, you know, even financial ruin prior mm-hmm. to landing where he is right now. So a lot of people look at Elon Musk and go, oh, yeah, sure, he can say that because he's done X, Y, and Z. But you've got to look at, you know, he struggled and had a really hard time and believed and continued to move forward, even in the face of adversity. And to me, that's where the spirit of innovation lies, is that strength through adversity to see it through and to shift and change, that's going to be highlighted here, change, until you do strike strike it rich with, uh, not monetarily necessarily, but rich with, movement forward, ideas coming into fruition and living and breathing as you had envisioned them. And to me, that's where art and science are an amalgamation of total and complete success to innovation. 
Thank you, Tamara. I wish you were more passionate when you spoke. I'm only teasing. I am taking notes here while you're speaking. Become fearless. Become willing to fail. Be comfortable with change, all in caps. I'm tweeting as you're talking. I love this energy. I have to go around the table now and ask first Tom Raftery and then Diane Hinchcliffe. Before we get to what's in your cup today and, and where are you calling from, I'd love to know if you agree or disagree with Tamara's success formula for innovation. Be willing to change. Be comfortable with the idea that you just have to keep going and be okay with failure. Tom Fla- uh, Tom Raftery, what do you think? Agree or disagree? No, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, I know it makes for more interesting radio when people start disagreeing with each other, but unfortunately, <laughs> Tom is absolutely right. Uh, it's, uh, it, 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 there's, there's no better way to say it. Tom said it best. It's, it's, it's all about learning from your mistakes Dusting yourself off, picking yourself up, dusting yourself off, and getting back up on that horse again, and just keep, as I said earlier, keep banging away at it until you finally break through. But you know what? Our education system doesn't reward that, Tom, does it? I don't know about yours in Europe, but you're not rewarded for, <laughs> for flunking a test. Or you're not rewarded for, for giving three paragraphs when they asked you for one cut-and-dried answer to one question on a test. I remember when we had essay tests. It might have been in high school. I would write on the front of the page, the back of the page. This was handwriting before we were doing t- digital responses. I would write so much, and I would get an A, and, and my my kids in my class, my classmates would say, of course you got an A somewhere buried in all that stuff you wrote down. There was an answer that the teacher <laughs> liked. But I was just doing a, a, a not a stream of consciousness, but just a, an association with what the topic meant to me. And yes, buried in there somewhere. So I wasn't afraid of failure, but I wasn't going to take a chance that I was giving a narrow answer. I, I don't know what made me think of that, but th- that was one of my one of my uh, ways of getting around essay tests in high school was just keep writing until time runs out. There you go. That's why these shows are an hour and not 15 minutes. Tom, thank you very much. <laughs> Diane, <laughs> sorry. Diane Hinchcliffe, love to know what do you think? Do you agree with this idea of embracing change and okay with failure? And, and how, do we, how do we grow people who understand what Tamara said, who accept that? What do you think? Well, it's interesting because I work a lot with, um, uh, with C-level leaders uh, you know, on topics like digital transformation and in high-performing organizations, um, you only get to, to the very, very top by making all the right moves. Uh, or at least that's, that's been the formula for a long time in the past. Uh, but these, uh, in today's very fast-moving times, you can't wait around to make that right chess move. Um, you know, you can't, the worry is that you'll end your career if you make a significant mistake and you won't get to that, you know, that next brass ring. Uh, and I think that that, that that era is over. It just is taking us a while to learn it. And, and, and we now we know we're in the era of, of fast failure. You must mm-hmm. experiment as quickly as possible until you find the right formula. And the only failure is if you didn't learn from the last one. And so I'd very much agree, uh, you know, as, as trendy as it is, there's a reason why this concept is, is, is uh, uh, being talked about so much and that we have to, you know, growth, hack is, uh, growth hacking and other uh, methods uh, like uh, agile software development all use these uh, use this concept of let's learn as fast as possible to do the right thing. I like that. Thank you very much, uh, Tamara. Any comments? We went around the table on your your thoughts there. I thought that was a good conversation starter. So, any thoughts on what the gentleman on the panel added, Tamara? No, no. I'm ready to get down to what we're drinking. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, lady. It's my show. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, that-
that was good. See what happens when you invite a really great panel back. They get so comfortable with the format, they're ready to take over the show. I'm teasing you, of course. Thank you, Tamara. Let's go back to Tom Raftery. Tom, where are you today? I know you're somewhere because we called you on a mobile, somewhere in Europe. And uh, and let's find out what you love to drink and why in the world you aren't wearing your hat on radio today. I'm really disappointed. Tom, talk to me. <laughs> So I'm in I'm in Seville today, which is uh, where I'm where I live, and it's unusual that I'm actually uh, in in Seville today. But um, I was actually invited to speak in Seville today at an SAP event uh, this morning. So I was there this morning wearing my hat, and I got home uh, shortly after lunch and uh, took it off because. I don't wear it at home. I wear it out in the garden, sure, because it's uh, it's hot and sunny here. Um, so I, I took it off to be indoors to have a have a chat with yourself, Bonnie. <laughs> oh, and what I am I drinking? What's in my cup? Sorry. What are you drinking? Come on, what powers you in the hat? Both. <laughs> the uh, well, you know, I'm obviously from my accent. I'm I'm Irish, so you know the the two big two kind of stock drinks that we Irish people are famous for is uh, beer and whiskey. And when I was in my uh, <clears throat> early formative years, I, I drank my quota of whiskey one night and felt very sick afterwards. And so as a consequence, I've, 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 I've shied away from that since. And uh, now I just drink beer. That's, that's my favorite drink. And uh, it's still a little early here to break out the, the, the beer right now. But uh, later on this evening, I'll sit down with a nice glass of beer. So, Tom, would you say that you embraced the idea early on to fail fast? Yes, you were drinking the whiskey. And <laughs> it, it wasn't so good the next I day. I dust myself off and get up on that whiskey horse again, though. You you moved on. I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you very much. Dion Hinchcliffe, rumor has it you're in the U.S. today. I know last time we called you somewhere in Europe. So where are you and what's up with you in Constellation and what do you love to drink, Dion? Well, I'm unusually uh, at home in Washington, D.C., just outside in the suburbs. Um, and it's actually great not to be on the road. I, I travel upwards of 200,000 miles a year. I was going from Istanbul last time. So. That's right. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be home, although we're going to get seven inches of snow this weekend uh, in <gasps> April, of all things. So that's, that's, that's wow. amazing. Um, and with Constellation, you know, we're, we're continuing to work with, uh, with the digital leadership um, around the world, uh, advising them on all the latest trends and, and, and what's going on. Um, we're going to be inaugurating our business transformation um, uh, 150 for 2018. So if anyone has any nominations for digital leaders that they would like to see, uh, please reach out on Twitter. I would love to hear that. And uh, as for what's in my cup, yes, uh, I I, re- I would like really great coffee, uh, but I often don't have time to make it. So I've been really enamored with my uh, Nespresso machine from Nestle, yes. which has a uh, uh, fantastic, amazing coffee, and everything is 100% recyclable, unlike a lot of the other uh, you know, on-demand coffee mm-hmm. machines. So I really like that one. That's what I'm drinking right now. And which which of the I'm an espresso fan. My machine is red. What color is yours? And how many boxes of of, (laughs) Oh, I knew I liked you. And how many how many boxes of pods do you have sitting in the drawer waiting to be used? Oh, way too many, because uh, everyone in the household likes a different flavor. So we, I Me think too. we have five different uh, boxes all together. <laughs> Me too. Do you I, know when you order your Nespresso pods, you have to click a special uh, option to get two recyclable bags? Do you know that they come free, but you have to order them with the coffee order? You can't go back and order them later. I learned that the hard way. So I keep one of those bags in my – I have a pantry here now in my new house. A pantry, can you imagine? And I keep a recyclable Whoa. bag on the floor propped up between other things 
and when the bin gets too full of the empty pods, I just scoop them up my hands and trot them. And they also make really cool collages. If you tap the coffee out of them, Dion, and you put some kind of glue, you can make all kinds of interesting faces and things with the pods because there's so many different colors and patterns. But I digress. That's just a there's little... A, uh, there's a woman I know here, Bonnie, in, in Spain who makes jewelry from them. Get out. Seriously. Really? That'll be my next hobby, yep. Tom. Can you send me pictures yeah, yeah. Or, or can you email me a link to her website or whatever she's doing? I'd love to be inspired. I'll, I'll, I'll try and dig something up for you. I don't have enough to do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, a, just a thought. That's an inside joke. Tamara McCleary, we are getting to you. Tamara, you've been so ready to talk about where you are, what you're drinking. But we also need to catch up with you on what's happening at Thulium. What do you do? What have you been up to? So, By the way, to my panel, we're skipping the break because we're just having too much fun. We're going to go straight through with the roundtable <laughs> when Tamara's done. So, Tamara, it's all yours. Talk to me. Awesome. Well, I am, I am back in Boulder, Colorado today. It's where I live. Um, and, uh, although technically, technically I live on United Airlines, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm home today and packing Touché. my bag because I leave for Sydney, uh, on Thursday. God, mm-hmm. is that tomorrow? <laughs> Which one? Yes, it is, dear. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I just got back from a uh, European tour, and now I'm on off to Sydney. But I am wildly, wickedly excited about what I do. I get to be the CEO of a global digital marketing agency, working with a lot of very incredibly cool global companies in the B2B space, and we specialize in innovative marketing on social media for B2B. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And, what, do you, um, what do you term innovative marketing? How do, you, how do you caption that? What goes underneath that term? Uh, on innovative marketing on social media for B2B uh, means really disrupting how social media is done for organizations that, you know, have a lot of concerns. They're heavily regulated. They're worried about GDPR. They've got all mm-hmm. kinds of concerns that, you know, the B2C market has a lot easier than the B2B and enterprise space. Um, and so it's about really how to engage with the target market to not only create a really special experience to keep uh, the brand loyal folks there, but also to reach out and grab a market that hasn't been reached yet. Because a lot of times organizations are stuck in an echo chamber and they're only talking to themselves and they use social media in all the wrong ways, so they don't have ROI. Thank you very much. Sounds like it's very much needed and appreciate that. Do you ever wear hats, Tamara? I'm just teasing, but I know Tom has a hat. Do you ever wear hats? Oh, yeah. If you go to my Instagram account, you'll see plenty of pictures of me in hats all through Paris last week. (laughs) Ah, we're going to have to take a look. I love hats. I love Shoes. I love uh, boots and stilettos, and yeah, I, I love fashion. So there's, you know, to me, I'm trying to break the stereotype that a woman in technology um, looks like a, a typical uh, geek or nerd. A woman in tech can also love fashion. So um, it's it's not it's not something that uh, we have to deter ourselves from. I absolutely love it. So. Um, yeah, you'll see on Instagram. I just really get into having fun and feeling that creative artistic side and expressing myself while at the same time being super, super 
uh, wild about the succulent opportunities with technology and how our future is moving and shaping in the realm of AI, machine learning, and IoT and cloud. Thank you. We're going to get all those buzzwords in there. Yes, we are. I have to do a quick reference for you, Tamara. I interviewed on my personal radio show Monday night a lady named Marie Pizano, P-I-Z-A-N-O, and her book is From Barefoot to Stilettos, It's Not for Sissies. Very interesting. Grew up tough, uh, south side Chicago, gangs, food stamps, the whole thing. Ended up as a trophy wife, In uh, ended up eventually in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and broke free and started her own production company, Entertainment. She's doing a lot of biopics on gangsters and people like that, and she has co-branded her book with a pizza store, with a chocolate maker, with uh, merchandising, hats, Tom, she's got hats and clothing and a very expensive leather handbag, and she gives to charity from the co-branding. Very interesting lady, turning her book into an opera. She has a um, um, a comic strip, Stiletto, the Baroness Warrior, on a Latino magazine. It's a comic strip with the heroine named after her book. It's, it's just a ride, but I thought you'd find her very interesting, Tamara. So if you ever look it up, From Barefoot to Stilettos by Marie Pisano, just a little cross-reference there. I think you'd enjoy reading about her she probably you're probably you're probably that powerhouse baroness as well so there you go so now we're not we don't have time for a break that's well, ridiculous you didn't, you didn't ask me what i was drinking aren't you aren't well, what you are you drinking i thought we covered that in there somewhere what do you drink we're talking about your hats what were you drinking in paris last week maybe that's the question what were you drinking oh my lord i was drinking lots of fabulous bubbly yeah no i um i love bubbles and um, so you're in Paris, right? When in Rome, you gotta gotta do bubbles in Paris. And so bubbles in Paris means actual champagne, not prosecco, not any other sort mm-hmm. of sparkling wine. The real deal. When you're in Paris, you drink champagne, and it was fabulous. Um, makes me kind of thirsty right now. I wish I had champagne in my cup, um, but I actually cut myself off two hours ago from espresso because that's what I really love, and mm-hmm. I have one of those. Violetti, you know, old-fashioned kind of stovetop, bubbling kind of silver espresso makers, old school. Okay, I was thinking we're going to have to come back for part three with this panel because we're just having too much of a good conversation here. Thank you, Tamara. Tom Raftery, let's go pull some notes here from your topics. Uh, I want to, I don't know if we covered this on part one, but it bears revisiting if we did. You say 2018 will be the year organizations realize that data is the new iron, I-R-O-N, and that they can mine it, smelt it, and craft all kinds of interesting things from it. Let's do a two-minute expansion by you, Tom, and then we'll see what Dion and Tamara have to say. Then I'll pick something from Dion's notes, and we'll go quickly around the table. Tom, you're up. Sure. Um, it's, 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 it's phenomenal to see, uh, you know, me being an IoT evangelist, I, I get to see lots of different IoT projects. And uh, at our um, at our Leonardo Live event last year, I was talking to a guy from Continental. The, the you know Continental are known as the tire manufacturing company, mm-hmm. but that's only forty percent of the revenue. They get sixty percent of the revenue from making smarts that they sell to the vehicle manufacturers. So many of us are driving around with Continental components in our cars, and we're unaware of it because they sell to the manufacturers themselves. And uh, the the uh, Continental executive I was talking to was telling me about this uh, IoT project they had where they're rolling out a vehicle data platform for vehicle manufacturers. And he said they were approached while doing this 
they were approached by a weather company. And the weather company said to them, look, you are gathering all this data from all these cars driving all over the country. It'd be really interesting for us if you could let us have access to some of that data. In particular, we're interested in the GPS data, the time of day data, the external air temperature data, and the windscreen wiper data, because then we would have you know, hyper-local weather information, and we could use this, and it would all be anonymized, obviously. And this was, this was a whole new business opportunity that arose for Continental. They were, they were building a, a, a data platform for vehicles, and suddenly they have a prospect in the, the weather industry, something that had mm-hmm. never occurred to them before. So it's amazing when you're collecting all this data. If you look, there are very, very often kind of left field uses for some of your data. Data is a potential goldmine for all industries. I love it. Very interesting way of looking at it. Diane Hinchcliffe at Constellation Research. Agree or disagree? What do you think? Well, the, uh, we're all trying to get our, wrap our minds around the, the amazing potential of what happens when everything becomes connected, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I think I said in the last show, everything, uh, every uh, non-trivial, even a lot of trivial objects are about to be all connected together on the Internet and th- give us rich data. And I was giving the opening talk to uh, an insurance conference about IoT because all of these cars, like, like Tom was talking about, are going to provide this wealth of information to help insurers provide much better services or customized uh, offerings and, and better quotes and better pricing to their customers because of all the data that will really truly understand the, the driving habits of, of their customers uh, and be able to provide, you know, hopefully better services is the goal because we have much better data about how uh, the drivers actually behave. And that's just a, a, a tiny example of, of what happens when we connect all these, you know, all of our things together. I think it's, uh, it was Tim O'Reilly who said, my data is better when it's with your data. And, and uh, you know this, uh, the amazing connectedness of the of the internet combined with these devices are, is going to unleash uh, data that is so valuable that it will take us decades to tap into it all. Collaboration, cooperation, co-innovation. I'm hearing all of these co-words popping up in between your words, Diane. Thank you, Tamara McCleary. What do you think? Agree or disagree? The new iron. Oh, gosh. You know, I totally agree. In fact, I think it'd be impossible to disagree with this one because. Mm-hmm. The data is, uh, as both Tom and Dion said, data is the absolute crux of importance when you look at, you know, artificial intelligence with the machine learning aspect. It absolutely has to have data in order to iterate on its algorithms and, and be better and better and better. It requires data. It's the food. And at the same time, data is at the center of all kinds of controversy with who owns the data mm-hmm. and how is the data passed. And, and then you look at GDPR, you know, wow. Oh, yeah. That's just, you know, rocking people's world right now. You know, May is just a stone's throw away and organizations are not ready what kinds of penalties are going to ensue. And then you look at cybersecurity and risks within the Internet of Things and um, hackers and then that data being accessed. And then that's going to be a GDPR infringement, which is going to cost companies how much money? So, I mean, when you look at data, it's just absolutely front and center with importance and also all kinds of, of implications. It's 
Yeah. Wow. How could you disagree with what he said, Tom? Tom there you, you know. There that. you go. There you go. Thank you. That's an enthusiastic agreement there. Uh, Tom, I'm going to give you just a minute if you want to comment on anything the other two panelists said before I move on to something from Dion's list. Tom, any wrap up on that? Sure. I just wanted to make one other one other quick point on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I mean, we, we talked briefly about connected cars and one fascinating aspect of connecting cars uh, that Diane alluded to it slightly is that as these cars are now being connected and driving around the place, the really fascinating bit is that every time any of those cars is involved in an incident, that data is transmitted back to the manufacturer as well. And so for autonomous vehicles... They, are, they become a learning platform such that because they have the data from every single incident each car has been in up until now, they get safer with every incident. So the, same, the, the chances of the same accident happening to any other car in the network is vastly, vastly, vastly diminished. So the autonomous cars and the more of them that are out there and the more data they're sending back to their platform, the safer it becomes for everybody. There you go. And I'm just going to throw in a little sidebar here. You can run, but you can't hide. No, not with not with all the cameras and the data and, and information being passed back and forth. You don't know where it's being shared and who's going to say, ah, we gotcha. I watch too many crime shows, Tom. So that's where that comes from. Dion Hinchcliffe, let's see if we can pick. I got a smiley face from our engineer, Aaron. He liked that one. By the way, Aaron is just enthralled with this conversation. He's an engineer at World Talk Radio, Voice America. He has a busy job all day long, and he is just just enthralled with what the three of you are saying. And that's a compliment to the three of you for engaging an engine. It's his job to run the show, not to listen and appreciate it. And he's doing that because of the three of you. So yay, there you go. Dion, (laughs) I want to pick up, I don't know if we used this one on the last show, but hey, it's been three months and nobody would remember anyway, Uh, but maybe I do. So here you say a couple things. Much of our work in applying technology to business has in the big picture been largely accidental. Now we're seeing purposeful design at the core of organizations using digital concepts and technologies. And this is where the winners are coming from. So I don't know if we want to talk about the word purpose, Diane, uh, Diane or whether we want to talk mm-hmm. about uh, the idea of digital concepts being a core responsibility, a core use of time and funding. How would you like to approach that? Because I, I love the idea that it was accidental until now. Talk to me. Yeah, well, we're talking accidental in the large. And, and, and Bonnie, this mm-hmm. goes back to uh, your quote from James Dyson about uh, innovation is creativity plus iterative development. It's a stepwise refinement, you know, the, the, the incremental improvement of our products or our services or our information technology, one step at a time towards a, our desired goals. But these typically have been done in you know, just parts of our organization, and they weren't designed really to fit together, and we've ended up with these silos inside most of our organizations, so these, these big technology towers uh, typically have been built up to solve a local problem, but they don't really take the organization into the future. They're not, they, they, they don't go to the core of the business, right? So this is where the whole conversation around digital transformation is coming from. So how can we take a step back and really rethink our business uh, as a whole uh, instead of kind of this, uh, this seemingly accidental amalgamation of technology that we're using to automate, you know, parts of our business, but again, don't really form a holistic approach to guiding our organizations into the future. And so that, that's why the topic of digital transformation is such a hot, uh, is, uh, 
uh, the focus of um, uh, you know boardroom CEOs are, have now taken up the mantle away from the CIO and the CMO to some degree because it's become the, the imperative. And so I think we're, we're, iterative development and stepwise refinement have given us um, amazing improvements, but not um, allowed us to redesign our organizations. Interesting. Diane, before I get Tamara, I know she wants to say something here. Before I get Tamara and uh, Tom to comment, question again, I asked this earlier in the show, where does this come from? Who is deciding we will do purposeful innovation? We will not let things just happen because somebody thought of it last night while they were out at a bar having whiskey with uh, or a beer with Tom Raftery. We will make it part of the core of what we do. Does this come from the top? Does this come from people in mid-management? Does it come from interns? Maybe does it come from gig workers? Where does it come from, this energy, this drive for purposeful innovation? Well, I think it comes from all of those places, and it has to, because the amount of change that we have to sustain, because the world is changing much faster than most of our organizations, means that you know, everyone's got to help row that boat. And, and the data is showing that top-down innovation is important and effective, but it can't get into all the corners of the organization. And this has led to this conversation around digital change agents. How can we enlist anyone who has a good idea to experiment, to fail fast, to try it, and if it works for the organization, fit it into the overall big picture that, that we talked about, to digitally transform by design instead of kind of getting to where we are, which is which was more by accident. So I, I think it's all of those. Tamara, love to get your thoughts. Well, I absolutely dig what Dion was just saying because it makes me think that this innovation that, you know, organizations, especially the executive management team, knows has to happen often um, needs to be paired with upskilling the workforce because as you look at how things are changing and the technology we use to even run our businesses right now is changing at such a rapid pace. It's not what you learned. It's not what you knew in the past, but it's it's how quickly and agile and flexible you are to learn in the moment. And how are we preparing the workforce to be able to handle the kinds of jobs and tasks that we need them to do mm-hmm. in order to innovate the organization? Um, so I think that, you know, part of this piece is, and I'm seeing out there globally, um, is that the organizations still have not figured out a plan to upskill their workforce and how they are going to actually execute on digital transformation in order to stay relevant and innovative in the future. Thank you very much. Tom Raftery, quick thoughts on that one? Accidental versus on purpose? What do you think? Yeah, <clears throat> it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's interesting because... Uh, the technologies uh, in themselves are quite straightforward to, to update. The hardest thing in any organization to update or to change is the people in the organization. And that's, that's age-old wisdom. It has always and ever been the case. You know, from the time when uh, the first spinning jenny was invented in the 1750s and we had people uh, rebelling against the idea of that, thinking it would come and take the jobs up to the present day. It, it's always never been the same. Technology is easy. People, people are hard. Thank you very much. Diane, anything you want to wrap up fast? I want to cover something from Tamara's list before we go into predictions in about three minutes. Diane? No, I, I would just say that uh, the only other thing that we're really seeing uh, in terms of innovation leadership is is we have to do it by example. You have to, to, to be the change that you want to see. And, and you know, that really seems to be the, the most important, most effective pattern. 
Thank you. Tamara, I have two things from your notes here I want to cover. Uh, they're two completely different thoughts, but they're so picturesque. I'll just use that word advisedly. I just want to, I'll read both of them a, a minute apart, and I'd like you to comment. I don't think we'll have time to go around the panel. But number one, you say, if you had a time machine and you traveled back in time, would you heed predictions about blockchain, cryptocurrency, smart city solutions, autonomous vehicles, or the Internet of Things from someone back in that time period? And the answer is no. So comment on that, Tamara. Are, are people heeding new innovations now? Are we the same thing as being in a time machine as to what will happen in the next 20 years or so? What do you think? I think very few people do heed it because it's not in their consciousness. I mean, we typically tend to uh, even approach innovation with what we already know or what we think is right and black and white. And I think innovation takes a certain kind of person who can admit they don't know, but they're open. And a lot of people say they're open, but saying you're open and actually being open in business is two very different things. And I think it's very difficult for people to conceive what the mind can't even begin to uh, make sense of right now. And I, and I think that I always turn to science fiction. Science fiction is where I, I go for a respite. It's where I go for peace. And, and when you go into science fiction, it, it allows your mind to be flipped. And so this innovative piece means that we have to be able to embrace and conceive what the mind cannot yet make sense of. Thank you. And let me move quickly to another topic in here. This one is... Uh, uh, a little bit of a downer, but let's see if it still holds true from when you sent it to me in January. You say organizations tout the word agile from a marketing megaphone using the word du jour PR messaging like innovative solutions, AI-enabled, disruptive technology. But you add, the reality is many companies leave us confused as to their differentiation and real-world problems they're uniquely solving as we're seeing a failure to execute on anything other than, here it comes, a colorful brochure. Really, Tamara, would you say this again? It's now April. What do you think? Still holds true? Well, what I'd like to do is anyone who's listening who actually works in an organization, um, please raise your hand if you've ever been in a meeting you don't need to be in. Oh. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, anyone who works for any organization, come on. Can we just cast a knowing glance and wink, wink one another? We know what's going on. I mean, I mean, let's not bullshit anybody about this. There's all this talk about innovation and agility, but you get back into those meetings and you can't even move one thing. So, like I said, if we really were as innovative and agile and open to transformation as we say, then we would be disrupting versus always being fearful that we're going to be disrupted. So, you know what? I challenge anyone to go ahead and call me out if you think I'm wrong on this. Okay, you just got a favorite. Heads up, thumbs up from Aaron. He said, wow. Okay, we're going to leave it at that. You know what? I have about four minutes left till we end the show. Thank you, Tamara. Tamara, in honor of, of not being able to go around the table on that one, I'm going to give you the first 60 seconds for predictions. Tom, I'll have to be patient. So Tamara McCleary at Thulium, I'm giving you exactly 60 seconds, no more. What do you predict? Uh, by the way, I'm inviting the three of you back for part three. We have to do this again in August, so we'll have a couple months to... <laughs> 
to refresh. This is just too good not to continue the conversation. So you, you will accept my invitation. That's my prediction. Tamara, uh, go ahead, predict what will be different, let's say, by 2020 on the conversation about innovation. Go ahead. What will be different by 2020? Uh, it's only two years from now. I think what will be different is that uh, the companies that say they're innovative right now will probably find themselves um, losing market share or being disrupted. And then the smaller, truly agile startups are going to have a stronger foothold in 2020. Thank you very much. I know that was a very brief time, as I'll, I'll never forget Barbara Walters. 2020, that's an earworm that has never left my head in all these years. So thank you for that. Uh, let's go to Tom Raftery. Tom, what do you see in the predictions? You Go 2020 or even 2025. What's your preference? <clears throat> I'll go a little further out. I'll go to 2025, and we're going to see okay. lots, lots of different changes. Uh, but the, the, the one thing that strikes me most is uh, I was having a conversation with Pascal Brosset back in 2014, and he was the then CTO of Schneider Electric. He's now gone on to uh, Boston Con- Consulting. And he told me in 2014 that the cost of putting a system on a chip at the time was $2, which meant Schneider Electric at that time were putting smarts and connectivity. They were putting a system on a chip on everything they manufactured. And so now we're in 2018, the cost of that smarts and connectivity for things is probably down under 50 cents. And so by 2025, it'll be, you know, less than 10 cents, probably 5 cents to put smarts and connectivity on everything. So by 2025, everything will be connected. So terms like Internet of Things and terms like digital transformation will be redundant in the same way we no longer say we've got an internet-connected telephone or we've got an interactive website. These were terms we actually used 10 years ago. In 2025, we'll no longer Mm -hmm. use terms digital transformation or Internet of Things. I'm going to say thank goodness. <laughs> Somebody pitched me a show topic on digital transformation, and I said, really? Again? Seriously? We've been talking about it and talk. Can we come up with an I'm just tired of that. Anyway, Diane Hinchcliffe, last but of course not least, I've got 60 seconds for you. That's it. Go ahead with your prediction, please. Absolutely, Bonnie. Um, so I, I think we're going to see the, 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 this explosion of data. You know, the, 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 the trickle that we have today is going to turn into floods by 2020 as, as so many things become connected. But I think that we're also going to have a, a mitigating force in that there's a, I mean, much more concern around data security, data privacy, uh, cybersecurity, uh, and all the bad things that can happen. And, and we're going to see, like with GDPR, a wave of regulation and common sense. I think we need to have this. This, this blanket of safety put on top of all of this. We've never had so much open data, never had so much knowledge about everything, uh, and it, we need to make it safe. And so I think you'll see both those forces playing out against each other in, in mostly good ways uh, by 2020. Thank you very much. Three of you, what a provocative conversation. You all come with uh, guns blazing, so to speak, and and with, uh, <laughs> yes, and, and just being who you are, the authenticity is marvelous. Tamara McCleary, you, you've just become, uh, you have a fan favorite in Aaron Keller at Voice America. He's just rocking it listening to you talk. So there you go. You just took on one of many new fans. Diane Hinchcliffe, always brilliant. Tom Raftery, I want you to try and wear the hat next time, but I love you just the way you are. Sure. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and by the way, 
No, I did not have caffeine today because Tom, as you know, and Diane and Tamara, they only let me have water on radio show days. But it's been <laughs> such a joy speaking with the three of you. You make the topic of innovation so lively, bring it to life with such real people comments. And that's what we look for. That's what our global audience expects from us here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So we have one more show. I'll be live tomorrow oh, with fun. something. At te- Thank you. Something at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. We have Tom, do you know we have 14 series live right now? And I'm adding three new series in June and another one in October. This will be a banner year for Game Changers Radio. It's like a little industry here. Plus, we have our digitalist briefings on, uh, if you go to Alexa, I can't say her name loud because she'll talk to me. Alexa, skill, sign up for digitalist briefings and you can hear five days a week. Me, there she is talking to me. And you can hear excerpts from our radio shows called the Coffee Break Express version. So there. Thank you so much to Tom Raftery at SAP. Mm -hmm. Diane Hinchcliffe, again, a shout out to Ray Wong, Mr. R at Constellation Research. Tell him I said hello. He needs to come back on radio. And Tamara McCleary at Thulium. Just keep rocking it, lady. You got it. You got it. You got it. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, with another live edition of Something Game Changers. I can't even keep track anymore. Shout out to Aaron, of course, and everybody at Voice America. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Tom Raftery, just like Diane Hinchcliffe, and just like Tamara McCleary. Alexa's still talking in the background. i got to go give her something to drink. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.